Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from football.london here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guests Hot Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Now we have another Tottenham win to discuss today following Spurs' 2-0 win over Chelsea at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Sunday. Alistair Gold joining me as ever. Ali, how are you? Yeah, good. Things are going, seem to be, I don't want to say it, you know, too loudly, but things seem to actually be going okay at the moment. You know, two derby wins in a row. Um, a real kind of, should be a really good FA Cup clash to look forward to as well. A proper classic tie against a team in the lower league who are doing very well. Um, so, yeah, yeah, good time to talk about all things Tottenham, I think. Yeah, so on Sunday, Spurs extended their lead over Newcastle United in the race for fourth to four points. Uh, it was a win courtesy of an absolute wonder strike from Oliver Skip and then a goal at the end from Harry Kane, easy as you like for the Tottenham man. So three important points over a team Tottenham have really struggled against uh, over the, really, the Premier League era. Uh, they've not enjoyed the trips to Stamford Bridge all the home games as well. So it was nice to get one over on Graham Potter and his Chelsea team. Ali, you were at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Sunday. What did you make of the performance then? It's a strange one. I'd say comfortable. It was a comfortable performance without being, you know, absolutely eye-catching, incredible stuff. But they never really looked in danger. And, you know, you mentioned that track record against Chelsea. Before Sunday's game, Spurs had only won seven times in the last 62 attempts against Chelsea. And it just showed how dominant Chelsea have been in that fixture. And, you know, last season, there was four games and Spurs barely laid a glove on them in any of them. I mean, you know, we had Conte essentially reminding us every single fixture how big the gap was between the two. And, you know, there is a huge dollop of irony about the fact that since then, Chelsea have spent, you know, God, I mean, it's a project like it must be like 600 million, it must be way more than half a billion pounds. Yet, at this current moment in time, Spurs are 14 points ahead of Chelsea this season. It just shows money throwing money at a problem isn't always a solution, it's about kind of making the right purchases, having the right people around, the right um, atmosphere, the right kind of blend as well and yeah this Chelsea team obviously some of our colleagues from Football at London our Chelsea reporters Adam and, and Scott were there and I could just they were so um what's the best word they just weren't expecting anything from Chelsea and obviously anyone covering Spurs is pretty much trained <laughs> to know that a game against Chelsea is not going to probably end well whereas they came in with that and you can see the whole shift in mood at Chelsea and I think you could see it out there on the pitch as well. Those players who would be so confident. Um, obviously, they didn't have a lot of the figureheads they normally had with the Azpilicuetas. They lost Thiago Silva after, you know, very early on in the game. Um, so perhaps that made a difference as well. But they also, they just look so blunt up front. 
Whereas Spurs, obviously, there is, like I say, a massive dollop of irony that Chelsea has spent 600 million or so and Spurs had two academy products win the game for them <laughs> with a goal each, <laughs> who cost them nothing, essentially, um, other than the, the training cost. But, um, yeah, it, it was a strange game, but one that Spurs will take a lot of positives from um, and hopefully use it as as a, as a real kind of momentum kicker and keep this going. Yeah, very much so. I thought Chelsea started okay, uh, had a lot of the ball, didn't really test Fraser Foster though. I think it was just the two shots on target that had one of those was Raheem Sterling cutting in, but I mean, that was pretty comfortable uh, for Foster. And then I think it was uh, Jao Felix uh, with another one that was just the shot literally straight at him from outside the box. Mm. But He dived at Havertz's than... feet, didn't he? He made quite a good save later yes, on. Yes, he did in, in the second half. But other than that, they didn't really have many openings no. in the final third. And, I know they've spent 600 million and I think they're languishing in 10th at the moment. It's probably only goal difference, you know, stopping them from being in the bottom half. But it's 10th at the languishing, moment. just to check. What, what is it if you're lower down the table? than? <laughs> well, it, it is for Chelsea's standard. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yes. Uh, but even though they are struggling, you're still looking at the team they've got out. Reese James, Thiago Silva, Raheem Sterling, Kai Havertz, still got really good you know, team out that Enzo Fernandez, who they spent what 105 million on, he's still expecting more and more from them. But he was just really, really comfortable for Tottenham. They just never looked in any danger, even when they were winning 1 0. Obviously, still susceptible uh, to Chelsea going up the field and scoring, but they just never looked like doing it. And rather strange for it to be, you know, so easy for Tottenham, maybe. Do you know in, what summed in, it up in this for fixture? Me? I was Go going on, to say, because only because you mentioned his name, and I'll probably forget it by the time I, I, I speak about it, but in the final seconds before they blew the final whistle, there was a 50-50 between Oliver Skip and Enzo Fernandez, £107 million man. Honestly, I know Chelsea would have felt they'd have lost by then, but Skippy absolutely clattered in as if it was the first challenge of the game. And honestly, you could hear the crunch of the two of them coming to, well, mainly Skip Skip hitting the ball uh, and taking it away. And Fernandez, he did not want anything to do with that challenge whatsoever. And I know that was like one of the last kicks of the game, but I actually felt that was very much the theme of the game. I felt Spurs, Spurs fans, and, you know, we've said it ourselves, they'll often complain about maybe not being up for these games, Spurs players but they were absolutely up for it. And I thought that really encapsulated the difference between the teams. Well, I think you have to go back to November 2018 for the previous win against Chelsea. And that was 3-1 at Wembley. Son's got that really good goal uh, that day. But, you know, there's been a number of the Tottenham-Chelsea games where you're thinking Tottenham are the form team coming into this one. I can remember the one at the start of the season off the back of a 4-1 win against Southampton. Chelsea had won at Everton on the opening day, but had really, the previous campaign, I mean, I think they just got over the line in the end. There was far too many draws. Uh, and you're thinking, oh, here we go. Spurs can actually do something at Stamford Bridge, but that wasn't to be the case. So it's actually nice to see that Tottenham did manage to get over the line and get those three points because even though Spurs were the one going into the game in form compared to Chelsea, I think a number of Tottenham supporters probably still had doubts over, you know, getting 
the three points just because if, if you look at the previous results in the Premier League era. So, yeah, really, really good to see Tottenham build on the recent home wins, just open up that gap uh, with Newcastle in fourth as well. And, you know, it's just hoping they can kick on and just keep these results going because uh, they're certainly building some momentum now. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And there were quite a few performances out there. I think that Conte from afar and the coaching staff who were there will take a lot of kind of pleasure from as well. And and a lot of their decisions that they're making at the moment, and they may not be the most popular ones with the fans. Uh, you know, you're thinking of the wing backs and things like that and, and um, certain kind of decisions around the pitch. Um, obviously, Sonny again on the bench. Um, but at the moment, tactically, they're getting it spot on. Um, and that's that's huge right now. And uh, like I say, it kind of it feels a little bit like that point last season when Spurs started to kind of get ready for the running and they started to get their business head on. And I think the difference, obviously, this year is that they're still in, at the moment, three competitions. But I would say that's countered by the fact that Spurs have a stronger squad than this time last season. Um, they've got far more options. Especially, we know about the midfield problems, but but elsewhere they've got lots of options for each position. So it's going to be really interesting to see how mentally they deal with this second half of the season because it's set up for them now. They've got themselves back into a really good position. You know, we need to think about these podcasts like, what, three weeks ago? And it's just crazy how football turns around. And now Spurs have got this nice little cushion in fourth place. I know Newcastle have got a couple of games in hand, but the first one is away at Man City, um, I think, this weekend. So it's very much in Spurs' hands right now to really attack the second half of this season. And, you know, professional performances like they, they put in on Sunday, that's the kind of stuff we want to see more of. And, and you know, they're at a point now. I look back at last year's Premier League table. They're three points ahead of where they were last season. Um, which surprised me, I must admit. You kind of think about this season, and I think in my head I've slightly painted a, a dimmer view of it compared to last season. But yeah, they're three points ahead. And surprised me even more, they scored 11 more goals in the Premier League than they had at this point last season. They've conceded three more, but yeah, certainly as an attacking force. And the amount of times we've thought in games, oh, they've looked a bit blunt, they haven't done this, they haven't created these chances, yet they've scored 11 more than last season. It's mad. Um, but yeah, no, no, lots of good performances to talk about out there on Sunday as well. Yeah, before we get onto those individual performances, there was one major talking point at the end of the first half, and that was the decision to rescind the red card shown to Hakim Ziyech, uh, and he was given a yellow in the end. Big, big talking point, still is quite a talking point now amongst Tottenham fans. What did you make of it all then? Because there's certainly some confusion. It was absolute madness while we were there because from our point of view, this is purely what we saw. So we saw Richardson pick up the loose ball. Um, Havertz had a bit of a kick out at him. Um, he got quite frustrated a few times. It probably happens when you're nutmegged by Christian Romero. I can imagine that sort of <laughs> boils your blood. Um, but yeah, he had a kick out. Then Zayic brought him down, uh, Richarlison. That started, obviously, this little kind of mini kind of almost like a face-to-face -face between Richarlison. Out of nowhere, sorry, Richarlison Zayic, out of nowhere, Emerson decides, that's my mate. And he runs in, barges Zayic in the back. Is it Zayic or Zayic? 
I want to put, get actually right for a change. Ziek, I think. Ziek. There you go. Yeah. Uh, none of the, neither of the options I was uh, putting up. Ziek. <laughs> um, and um, obviously, Emerson, he, he turns. We had we had differing opinions in the press box over whether Ziek was trying to give him a slap round the face but hit his shoulder on the way or whether he was trying to push him and hit his shoulder, which then bounced onto his face. I think, if I'm being totally honest, it was probably the latter. I think he's just flinging his arm out to push him away. Obviously, Emerson does that classic, ow, oh, it's hit my face. I'm going to fall slowly to the floor as if I've been shot, which is just its so silly. Uh, but it, it's all part of modern gamesmanship, I guess. Um, and then, obviously, it looked... We saw them go... He, he had the yellow card. I think, this is my view that he had the yellow card ready to go to Havertz for the kick-out that he did on Richarlison originally. And I've watched back the replay, and I think it looks like he's heading towards him when suddenly the Ziyech and uh, Richarlison stuff flares up a bit. Uh, other people seem to think that he was about to book Ziyech for the challenge, which I, I don't know about that. Because if they did, I quite agree with other people that then you're looking at the scenario of a second yellow card, maybe. But I think he was booking Havertz for the kick, which he actually did. He did book him anyway. Otherwise, you know, what was he booking him for? Um, then we had this weird moment where VAR looked to be checking everything. And then he produced a red card. So, we're like, okay, VAR said it's it's worthy of a red. <laughs> then Ziyech is coming off the pitch. Then suddenly we see the referee going in the opposite direction, which is, uh, oh, he's looking at his monitor, isn't he? Something else has happened with VAR. And we're thinking that maybe there was something else, you know, they hadn't spotted another little like we were actually I was concerned that Emerson was had done something and he was going to get himself sent off. So he heads over to the uh the pitch side monitor. Chelsea players are telling Ziyech, don't go off. It looks like you're gonna get it rescinded. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. He downgrades it to a yellow. Um, it was complete mess. Uh, Stellini was quite praiseworthy of Stuart Atwell afterwards. He said he was informing us throughout and the players exactly what was happening. And his way of describing it was that the referee and linesman knew that someone had pushed Emerson, but they weren't entirely sure, so they wanted to check. That was what the initial VAR check was for, which was why they then brandished a red card, although obviously they wouldn't have thought it was a push, they must have thought he was striking out. Then VAR was used to fully investigate to see whether it was worthy of violent conduct or not, which is, you know, half an hour later, we eventually get to the uh, the final kind of um, resolution. Um, I'll be honest. I think trying to look at it with a completely objective head, I think it was probably the right decision was come to in the end. I get this logic that if he was going to book Ziyech first for the challenge, then he's done two offences and should get two yellows. But I don't think he was going to book him for it. I don't. I understand why people think he might have, but I think he's heading towards Havertz. What did you make from kind of watching it from your angle? Uh, to be honest, I completely agree with you. Uh, oh, what, look at what that. You said. I know first time, first time for everything. Uh, no, having watched it, First time you're thinking ZX should have been given a yellow card for the challenge just because that looked worse than Havertz. Uh, couldn't really see that initially, but then having watched it back on the replay, Havertz, who 
lost out uh, in the ball with Pierre Milhoiberg. Obviously, a bit frustrated. Try swiping Richarlison's leg. So, yeah, free kick, yellow card. And then, obviously, it all kicks off after. My only issue with it was giving Ziyech a red card and then 10 seconds later going to the screen. It just seemed a bit farcical, really. But I think, in the end, the final decision was right. Having looked at Ziyech... because you can't give a yellow after a check for violent conduct? Is it a way of making sure he got some kind of card, perhaps? I've I've no idea. It just seems uh, the rules change <laughs> week <laughs> on week, doesn't it? Really, but I think the Ziek when he obviously hit Emerson, there's two angles to it. If you look at one angle, it looks like he strikes him in the face. If that was the case, then yeah, it's a red card. But the other angle, I think it clearly shows him striking him on the shoulder. Then it's just like his hand rolls up and catches him in the face. So I think. They did get to the right decision. In the end, it's just a bit of a joke that he was given the red card and then, you know, five, second, five ten seconds later, I'm going to go look at the screen and then get this right. So, yeah, the right decision in the end. But thankfully, it didn't impact Tottenham as they did manage to go on and uh, get the three points. Key to the win... Oliver Skip, uh, I think he's, he'll have been dreaming of his first ever Tottenham goal for some while, having come through the academy. And I think he might struggle to top this one. It was uh, some strike. Yeah, I mean, Harry Kane said afterwards, he did a little video message, didn't he, that said like, this is going to be a moment that Skip, he remembers for the rest of his life, is the way he put it. And it is, and it's, it's one of those wonderful football moments that I love it. Afterwards, there's a photo um, went out across social media of of Oliver Skip as like a six year old boy in his full Tottenham Puma kit that was back then with Mansion on the front of it. All that, I remember that kit. Um, the most serious-looking six-year-old I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it looked like a, a six-year-old, but with the kind of facial expression of a, an eighty-year-old. Um, and just to have that, that moment, and then 16 years later, that same boy, now 22, is scoring an absolute wonder goal in front of the South Stand, in front of 62,000 fans running over. It is, it's a cliche, but it is quite literally the stuff dreams are made of. As a young boy, he would have been dreaming of that moment. Um, and he's managed to hit, and he was actually quite great. He's so modest, he is. He was like kind of downplaying the shot. Oh, I didn't really get the nicest, the best connection. I cut across it and all that. It was a perfect shot. It was exactly what was required from that position. Um, Kepa slightly unsighted as well. It was it was a lovely shot that obviously pushed onto the crossbar and in. He didn't know what to do, you could tell, like to celebrate. He, he almost did like a Harry Kane celebration and had to kind of slightly tweak it. And then... You could see just how the, his teammates knew how much that meant to him. They just mobbed him. He was pretty much like bundled in the playground style at the end of it. Um, it was so lovely for him because his performance was fantastic. It was a brilliant performance as well. You know, even if he hadn't scored, we'd have been talking about another game where I feel like Oliver Skip announced, or not announced, just reminded everyone of how good he was before his injury. I think. Long-term injuries always make people kind of 
uh, forget what came before. Um, and there's there's talk about like, oh, he's just an average player, all of this. Another one of these academy players that will just, you know, isn't good enough. He is absolutely good enough. Before his um, injury, he was one of, I mean, people forget, like against Man City in Nuno's opening game. Skippy was one of the best players on the pitch. And this is against Man City. It's it's just uh, our memories are all so short, um, and they're often kind of coloured by what happens in the in the middle. Um, he just needed to get sharper. He just needed to get fitter. And now we've had three matches in a row. I've even had some people saying to me on social media, "One good game." So, no, it's not. <laughs> he's now had three in a row where he's been excellent in every single one of them. Um, and you can see a player, and he admitted it himself afterwards, he's feeling the rhythm again. He's feeling kind of how to play football, and he's playing 90 minutes every single game pretty much. Um, and uh, honestly, I think we're all as delighted for him as the players were. You know, I've covered him since he was a young player in the academy. So it's, it's a kind of lovely payoff to see this, uh, this big, big moment for him. And, you know... How many times in football have we seen when injuries to others give maybe not unexpected, but players that maybe you weren't thinking were going to break through that quickly a real platform? There's so many clubs where it's happened. Um, and and really now it's down to him. Um, and obviously steering steering clear of any more freak injuries like he got. 2022 was just just a rubbish year for him. Um, he just had like that that pelvic injury, which was something that I still don't believe personally that it was handled in the best way is probably the nicest way I can put it. I think it was a problem that he had from the October of the previous year uh, that should never have got to a stage where it ended up having minor surgery after what about six months later it was it was mad. Um, then he picks up a the freakest of training ground injuries when he went up for a header with another player, that player comes down and his stud goes into his heel. It's just, it's just such bad luck. And then it was really, it's just a case of trying to get back to where he was. So it's lovely to see. And, you know, this is a player that Mourinho called a future captain of Tottenham. This is a player that Conte calls one of the most important players for Spurs now, not only just for the future. And it's taken injuries to Benzenker and Basuma, but I think hopefully now we'll see the real Oliver Skip and there's a lot of people in that club that agree with Mourinho that he's going to be a future captain I think he needs to um, he's still a shy 22 year old very much I love the fact that he's so um, respectful of the senior players if you listen to his interviews he often calls them by their surname still Whereas with the younger players, so like he did an interview and he was talking about Pap Matassar. He was talking about Pap and Hoybier. And he's like, you're not calling Pierre? Is it like you play with it alongside him every week at the moment? Um, and I find that it's very endearing, but obviously as a leader, he'll um, he'll step up. But on the pitch, it's like a different person. You can see him pointing, telling people where to go, slamming into these challenges. His tackling was superb on Sunday. There were so many occasions when he, he does this really good habit of getting alongside someone and almost like hooking the ball away with his tackle. It's such a well-timed tackle. Um, so, yeah, no, fantastic day for him. And um, great for, you know, to see the fans singing his chant, uh, the Casey and the Sunshine Band one. Um, and then they were singing it in the... Um, after the final whistle, they were singing it 
after the game in the atrium behind the south stand as well. It's it, like I say, everything he would have dreamt of as a child, and it's very much his shirt to to lose right now. I think some people, you know, forget that he was one of the first names on the team sheet under Nuno, uh, and also Antonio as well in those first two months of his tenure as as manager, and that all you know came from such a good loan spell at Norwich where you know he grew as a player and as a person as well I know Tottenham haven't had the best of luck on the loan front in the past but that was the perfect club for him and they absolutely raved about him at Norwich I think he was in the championship team of the year won awards as well and it's just been incredibly unlucky 2022 absolute nightmare year for the player after you know such a good six months or so before in the Tottenham shirt and I think it's the case with all players. You just need a run of games to show what you can do. And that's very much the case for him now. I know he said after the game uh, that 2022 wasn't the, didn't end the best for him, even though, you know, he was getting a few minutes here and there after his injuries, couldn't get up to his best levels. But I think now he's showing it after three successive starts he is as you were saying reminding everyone just how good a player he is and just recapturing that form he showed in the first part of last season and I think having Skip back in the team I think that's helping defensively as well it's making Eric Dyer, Christian Romero uh, Clement Longley's job easy because you know he's such a, a smart player for someone so young uh, defensively sound as well that's takes what really I love good, about him the yeah. coaching stuff always going on a bit. It's tactical intelligence. He's a very clever lad. Yeah, good tackler, takes up good positions on the pitch. I think he just makes their job so much easier. And he was also saying that the goal he scored, that's something they've been working on in training. The midfielders winning their second balls outside the penalty area and then, you know, getting a shot off on target. And it was to perfection. I know he said he maybe didn't hit it the best, maybe cut across it cut across it a bit but it might have been one of those if you hit it that well it might not have gone in yeah uh, so yeah really really good and what starts the second half what was that 20 25 30 seconds into the second half literally yeah, pretty much straight from the kickoff yeah straight from kickoff top, yeah. yeah also want to mention Richarlison's role in that goal as well. I thought that was yeah. a really, really good uh, sweeping pass on the turn to Kulisevsky. Obviously, he then played it into Emerson. Chelsea partially cleared the lines and then Skip put it into uh, into the back of the net. And yeah, really, really good celebrations as well to see all the team bar Fraser Foster going over. Didn't actually see Christian Romero kicking or punching him uh, as he did <laughs> to Emerson the week before. But uh, yeah, really, really, really good moment. I think everyone's just so pleased for Oliver Skip at the moment. And hopefully we'll see uh, a few more of those goals over the course of his Tottenham career. I've got some Skippy stats for you as well. We should have a Skippy stats section. (laughs) It sounds like a little kind of bit we should have in every podcast. He had 48 touches of the ball, seven passes played in the final third. He was very progressive, I felt, in his performance. Um, He won possession of the ball five times, won four duels, made three of those crunching tackles, intercepted the ball three times, and obviously had that one shot on goal. And what a shot it was. Yeah, fantastic goal. I know there's someone else you want to talk about, uh, Christian Romero, as ever. Do you want to wax lyrical about him? 
He was superb. He was so good. I'm going to absolutely take credit and say that since I've asked Stellini like, about training methods and how do we get these yellow cards out of him, he's had two uh, Premier League games in a row where he hasn't had a yellow card and he's been absolutely incredible in both. I'm not really taking any credit for it whatsoever. It's all on Romero. Um, and I'd say the coaching staff. You know, Stellini said that um, actually pre-Chelsea, I asked again just kind of after the West Ham game where he was flawless in his tackling, like, have you been working on this timing with him? And he said, yeah, we have, but it's a lot about him. He's got to choose the right times of when to put his foot in. And uh, look, I do think Derby suit Romero because the referees are ever so slightly more lenient. They let a bit more go. So he gets his wish, which is, let's be honest, to kick people. So he gets to do a little bit more kicking. Um, but I just thought he was excellent. This was the kind of game where... And I think everyone else plays better alongside him for it when they know that he's going to suddenly step out, win the ball. And it's so important to Spurs' transitions when he does that because it absolutely puts the opposition team in a sudden disadvantage. They're all rushing forward and he's come out of nowhere, won the ball, and Spurs can suddenly flip the game on its head and head in the other direction. Um, I just thought he was superb. He's He's... Had a bit of criticism, I think, not only for the discipline side of things, but I think because he hasn't quite found his levels from the last season. But again, it's another player, I think, trying to find that rhythm to his game. Um, obviously, he's had a fair few injuries, um, let's be honest, since he came to Spurs. He kind of, it struggles to maybe put a run of matches together. But now I feel like we're seeing that and we're seeing the best version of Romero. And excitingly, he's still so young at 24 as a centre-back. He can only get better as well. Um, I just thought he was magnificent. And I think Eric Dyer plays a lot better alongside him when he's like that. Eric Dyer, for me, it's so important that he just concentrates on being a centre-back. We see Eric Dyer doing all these other things, trying to be like a playmaker, a quarterback, pinging these passes all over the pitch, whatever. And we also see him, I feel, when he when he has to go and try and cover for his teammates, I think that's when he makes these mistakes. And these are the ones that he gets kind of um, categorized for. And people remember those the most. But when you just simply say to him, no, just stay there as the linchpin, right in the middle of that defence. Don't worry about the left and right. Romero and Longley have got that covered. You just do what you've got to do. You get performances like that from Eric Dyer. And I thought he was excellent. I, I really, I'm, Obviously, I know this was about Romero, and I'm massively bigging up Romero. He got a 10 from me in my player ratings. But I think I gave Dyer a 9, and I really don't want his side of it to get kind of overshadowed because he's one of these guys that I think a lot of fans have just got it in their head that he's not good enough, he's not good enough to this, you know, oh, he's rubbish, he's the one that needs an upgrade. But I do massively think it's about those he plays with and about how much he feels he has to take on. And when he kind of, it's almost like biting off more than you can chew with Eric Dyer. Um, and I thought, you know, this was another performance like that and against City um, and against West Ham, who was good as well. And yeah, he can be a very effective central defender when that's all he does. It's when he does all the other stuff that he starts to to complicate matters. Um, but yeah, no, no, back to Romero, superb. And, and if he keeps playing like this, you know, he's going to be the man that's going to 
I mean, what Spurs got? I was trying to think. Clean sheets. I think it's eight from their last from the twelve games in twenty twenty three. I'm pretty sure it's something like that. Which that's remarkable. Very <laughs> where we were with that defence and how all over the place they were. And I think Romero coming back into form is playing a big part of that. The confidence in his game is very much there as well. I mean, you saw that in the midway through the first half, uh, where he not made Kai Havertz could have let the ball go out of play, but instead, you know, kept in and then just nonchalantly flicked it through his legs straight to Emerson. I think he was taking a bit of a chance in that area of the pitch because that could have gone wrong, but no, uh, credit to him. Uh, really, really strong, dominant performance from him. Big tackles throughout, very much up for it. And I think I agree with you on Eric Dyer as well. I think maybe... Just Romero's performance overshadowed Dyer's. Yeah. I don't think enough was maybe said about Eric Dyer. People, you know, quick to jump on Dyer when the going gets tough and he struggles, but I don't think there's enough praise for him coming his way when he, he does play well. And uh, I think you've got to give him full credit for that performance, remain strong at the back. Maybe didn't have, you know, a lot to do with Chelsea, not really threatening up front uh, with Havertz, but no, he was very much on his game. And I can give you the stats. I've got some stats Go for you. Go on, well, uh, Dyer, we've got Romero first. Romero, five tackles, two clearances, blocked one shot, won two aerial duels. Um, Dyer, Dyer made six clearances, which was more than anyone else on the pitch, won three aerial duels, blocked one shot. He only had to make one tackle. Um, and also, of course, he weighed in with that assist as well, which uh, I'll be honest, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, he's clambering all over Mason Mount there. Maybe that's going to get chalked off. But it's one of those that can go either way. Mason Mount was obviously kind of backing into him rather than maybe trying to jump for the header at the same time. But, uh, hey, it's an assist. And, yeah, a yeah, good day for Dyer, I felt, and the defence, really. Yeah, he's just... With Dyer, it's just consistency. You see him deliver yeah. these top, top performances and then a week later, he'll struggle. Uh, I think as was the case at Leicester uh, yeah. a fortnight ago. So it's just about maintaining those levels and that's what Tottenham need at this stage in the season if they are to, you know, finish in the top four again and hopefully go far in the Champions League and the FA Cup. As we're now halfway through the pod, Ali, do you want to tell everyone about the benefits of using NordVPN? Yeah, as you may be aware, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN, and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world, and that means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. I've used NordVPN, for, you know, I was... A, a, you know, even before they came on board, it was something that I used um, as a as a way to just access the things that I pay for over here. You know, with streaming services and things over here. When I was like traveling abroad, you know, you can just switch your location to being back home, and you can access things that you've paid for, which I feel you know is quite right, and you should. Um, it's yeah, that's even aside from the fact that Nord kind of locks up your device as well in a safe, secure way, and stops anyone getting into it from any public Wi-Fi, internet, things like that as well. Um, and not only that, but the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. Uh, that's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. For example, things like booking flights, let's say, from other countries can be cheaper as well. So you're paying out for Nord, 
but you're saving money overall. And there's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN. So why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. There's uh, another member of the back five who deserves plenty of praise at the moment, and that's Ben Davis taking on the left wing back role with uh, even Perisic on the bench. Uh, I thought a really, really good showing from Davis again. Did well against West Ham, against Chelsea, continued uh, to push upfield and make an impact. The, he's playing the final third, maybe isn't accurate at times with his crossing, but then again, he's playing as a left-sided centre-back at the moment. I think it was three attempted crosses, didn't uh, manage to find his intended target at all, but the running's there, the link-up play with, uh, you know, Harry Kane and co in the final third. So there's a lot of positives to his performance at the moment. And I think when you were previously looking at even Perisic, it's probably an undroppable in Antonio Conte's 11. I don't think he is at the moment. I think Davis, on his current showings, he could quite easily start against Wolves uh, on Saturday. I think there'll probably be a change in the FA Cup tomorrow night, but I could quite easily see Davis starting again at Molyneux. Uh, I know Perisic's had a massive impact for Tottenham in terms of assists. I think it's nine assists in all competitions, but he's probably all but maybe one or two where they've come from set pieces. I don't think Perisic has had that much of an impact, maybe, in open plays we were expecting him because he was constantly, you know, chipping in with the goals uh, for Inter Milan and Bayern Munich yet to get off the mark for Tottenham. So, I don't know. I could maybe see Davis maybe getting a bit of a run in the team if these performances carry on. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Um I think both wing-backs really deserve praise. Again, at the weekend, I thought Davies and Emerson were both good. Um, look, we know that if you look at a dictionary for the definition of Antonio Conte wing-back, you're not going to find a picture of Emerson Royal or Ben Davies right next to it. You're not. Um, but what they do bring is this, if you're looking to be more compact and solid, that's what both of them bring. Uh, and both of them have very differing kind of byproducts to the way they play. So Ben Davies, for example, he can tuck in and they can almost make a back four with Emerson further up the pitch. He can come in on the left-hand side. Uh, Emerson can tuck in on the right and make a three in midfield, which he was doing quite a few times again, I noticed, against Chelsea. Um, they're very different, both of them, in the way what happens when they get near the final third. Ben Davies is very much like, I'm going to sling in a cross. And that's what he does. And, and you know, it's a bit hit or miss. Some of them are very good. Some of them are a bit wild. Uh, whereas Emerson Royale gets to a certain point and just goes, help! <laughs> and just, like, looks around him. Where's Harry Kane? Where's DJ Kuliszewski? I want to give them the ball. And he will probably 90% of the time just do a very straight square pass to one of those two players. But his attacking movement, as we said before, is very good. So he gets in these positions. Um, and obviously against West Ham, we got the unexpected delight of seeing the two of them combine for an absolutely cracking goal. So now they're both doing really well. And Ben Davies, that was his 300th appearance for Spurs as well. Um, I really don't like it when I kind of hear people say that that's like, oh, that's everything that's bad about Tottenham. 
someone like Ben Davies has made 300 appearances. No, it's just no. It doesn't work like that. The reason he's made 300 appearances is because of how important he's been over the years to that squad. Um, he's a guy that can play in so many different roles. You know, he's filling in in yet another different position for the squad. He's got such an incredible attitude. He's such a, a kind of a driving force behind the scenes with players as well. You know, you can't kind of complain about players like that. And then on the other hand, say, oh, but, you know, the players were lacking fight in this game. They weren't up for it. Ben Davies is always up for the fight, always. He will throw his body on the line for Tottenham Hotspur at every opportunity. I remember when he, he played with an injury from Mourinho, didn't he? He played through it, um, even though he really should have come off in that game as well. Um, ben Davies... He, I'd say probably even more so than Eric Dyer. I think I, I'd say he's far more consistent than Eric Dyer as well. I think he does, he gets too much kind of criticism for someone that, for me, on the whole, gives you either a seven or an eight almost every week. It's almost like his mistakes are seized upon. Um, and I, I think there's a reason that every single manager has really taken to him and tried to find ways to get him in the team. Um, people kind of sometimes believe that, you know, every team's got to be like the Harlem Globetrotters. It's got to be a ridiculously talented, skillful starting 11. Football doesn't work like that. You need people. And that's not saying Ben Davies isn't talented. He is. But you need players in your squad or your team that are kind of important uh, figureheads, driving people that will always keep a certain basic minimum level of application in your team and that is a player like Ben Davies um yeah honestly I, I I I do bristle when I hear sometimes the things that are said about him and you just think you're not watching him week in week out you're not seeing everything he does and we're talking about off the ball as well the work he puts in I'd love to know the um the there must be stats out there for the kilometer the kilometers kilometers run for each of the players i bet ben davies is 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 right up there even as a left center back left side center back he's constantly up and down the pitch he honestly he gives everything um so yeah i thought he was good like you say not too much going forward but it, it, he was crucial him and emerson really to to stopping anything chelsea did down the flanks there were so few opportunities they got in down the flanks um, and Emerson, actually, the Matchday program had a really nice interview with him. I used some of the quotes in my talking points where he's just a very honest, likable chap. And he addresses kind of how people were, or how the fans were with him before things started to turn around. And the moment he felt it started to all suddenly click and turn around after he scored at the Etihad, kind of in the, in the time after that, he, I think he's right. Um, honestly, it, it's well worth a read. Uh, obviously, if you've got the program, open the program or go to my talking points or on the website. But it really gives you a nice insight into the person um, and his relationship also with Lucas and Richarlison and, and Lucas being the father figure to the three, uh, to the other two. And also how important Christian Romero has been to him. And we, you know, we, we joke about Romero kicking him up the backside, but kind of <laughs> metaphorically, it feels like almost he's been kicking him up the backside as well. And, and you see it on the pitch. Whenever Emerson does something that's really good, like he did a, an early tackle um, against Chilwell in the match on Sunday, which was like got the whole sales stand. It was right in front of them, got them all going. 
And whenever anything happens like that, Romero is one of the first across to him, obviously standing next to him um, because of their positions. But he's always one of the first, like, give him a real pat on the back and say, that's it, come on, keep going. And and I thought that's a nice little kind of leadership quality about a 24-year-old centre-back as well to do that. So, um, yeah, it's it's good to see. It's the old cliche. It's the same with Skippy as well. It's good to see good people have good things happen to them. Um, and yeah, there's a few of those players out there. It's great to see them being recognised for for what they're capable of doing. Just on Romero and Emerson, I can remember recently Romero did an interview with Premier League Productions after his World Cup win and obviously discussed a bit about life at Tottenham, and I think he was on about the mentality of some of the players who's named the ones with you know the best mentality. Kane and Son, no surprise. But then he named Emerson as well, what yeah. some people might have really might have surprised people given his up and down form and his struggles. But no, he's, he's shown that in recent weeks, just how much he's grown since, you know, that Leeds United game in November where he was ironically cheered when he went off the pitch and he fully deserves praise at the moment, playing really, really well. And on Ben Davis, you don't play 300 games for a Premier League club if you're not a good player. I'm not having the criticism. Well, you don't, do you? It's mad, isn't it? It's absolutely mad. No, so Ben Davis played really, really well. And on the left side, he had Richarlison uh, alongside him. And Richarlison, I think a few people might have been suspecting Son to come back into the team after his goal versus West Ham. But Antonio Conte and Christian Cellini kept faith with Richarlison. Again, not a lot really came off for him in the final third. I think he had two attempts on goal, one in the first half where he cut him from the left, was off balance, had a shot, went well wide of the target, and then one not long after the restart, what he killed over uh, from outside yeah. the box. Uh, like you say, his, mo- his involvement in the first goal, that was, yes. that was key. Yeah, but I think it was the other side of his game uh, where yeah. he really stood out against Chelsea. And I think that's, if you ask Everton fans, they'll say exactly the same. The qualities, you know, the hard work, the fight, the determination, that made him a hero at Goodison Park. And I think Tottenham fans can agree with that. What they saw from uh, Richarlison on Sunday against Chelsea. I think Oliver Skip even said it in his post-match interview. Richarlison, it must have been about, 15 times or so he came back just to help help out uh, on the left with Davis and Clement Longley because Chelsea did have a threat going down the right when you've got a player of Reese James's quality, Hakim Ziyech as well and they just totally nullified them. Nothing came from Chelsea's right and that was down to the hard work of obviously Longley, Davis and Richarlison. It's something maybe Son doesn't offer that defensive side of his game uh, so Richarlison, obviously a £60 million player, an attacker, he's always going to be judged on his goal output and he's not scored for Tottenham since uh, his double against Marseille in the Champions League at the start of September. So as long as he's, you know, not scoring, then that £60 million is always going to be used as, you know, like a bat to beat him with. That's constantly going to be uh, in the headlines, that price tag. And I think... Tottenham really do have a good player on the hands and it will be once he gets a goal. I think Spurs fans will see just such how good a player he is for the club. He can have a massive impact for Tottenham in both thirds of the pitch. He just needs that goal at the moment, whether it's one 
coming off his backside or a screamer like Oliver Skips was, he just needs one goal at the moment. Yeah, well, it's exactly you know what we were saying earlier about players needing game time, finding rhythm, and his will come as well. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. The 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 very different players he and and uh, Sonny. Um, of, I was looking at the the stats for Richarlison, and he made five tackles, which was second only to Emerson, who had seven. So one of your attacking players <laughs> made the second most tackles on the pitch. Um, and like you say, he was constantly uh, working away down that left-hand side. And I'd say Sonny does track back a lot. Sonny does a lot of running, does a lot of tracking back. But I think it's fair to say he's not as aggressive in the tackle as Richarlison is. I think that's probably the difference there. They're almost – I'd maybe say the difference is like Richarlison's maybe a bit more of a blunt instrument that you just kind of hammer at a defence with, whereas Sonny is maybe more of a – kind of a find the edge tool like a kind of the pace and the penetration that you try and kind of to find your way through um and i think they're actually complement each other really well um this is the same as we were saying about the wing backs i do feel like conte now has different options to face different kinds of oppositions um and i think that's going to be so important for the remainder of this season um and and, and you know it will come for Richardson. Like you say, there's absolutely no escaping from the fact that he's a £60 million signing. Um, he has to score more goals. You can't – to have not scored a single Premier League goal this season, to have only scored in, in one game this season is is not good enough for a £60 million signing. But as long as he's got that base of everything else he's doing on the pitch, you kind of feel that hopefully that side of the game will come, uh, the attacking side. And, you know, I, I – would imagine we'll probably see maybe both of them against Sheffield United and we'll see how they they link up together and how they work together. Um, Sonny's actually quite interesting. I, I was looking at his numbers. Um, obviously, look, he's had a, by his own standards, he's admitted it himself, he's had a poor season. Um, but he's actually still got nine goals and three assists, <laughs> which is like, it's because he's scored in these little clumps. Um, you kind of but they all add up. It's like 12 goal involvements from 32 games. It's like a lot of players in the league would be like delighted with that, but we know Sonny is not happy with that whatsoever. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, a good, uh, it's a good problem to have kind of picking between those two players. Uh, I was surprised that Richardson got the nod, but then pretty much exactly like what happened against West Ham, I think, he just kind of pounded away at that defence, softened them up, and then Sonny comes on, makes another impact, terrific um, corner for Kane's goal. I should also say about Kane's finish, just in case kind of we don't come back round to it. Yes, it's close range, but when you watch it back, you actually realise it's quite a good finish. He has to kind of reach almost hook from behind him and hook the ball back towards the goal. It's it's a really nice finish. I have no idea why. A, Raheem Sterling was marking him. And B, <laughs> why Sterling just went, oh, I can't do this. I, I'm not getting anywhere near him. Go on then. Um, but yeah, back to Sonny and Richarlison. Both need to be better this season. And I feel like we're going to see more from them. In the I think both of those two players are going to step up and end up being key as this uh, business end of the season comes into full effect. Yeah, before we just move on to Wednesday's FA Cup fifth round tie against Sheffield United, 
Uh, it does sound like Antonio Conte uh, could be up for the Manager of the Month award, even though he's been <laughs> Christian Stellini in charge. Uh, but I think what happens when someone, when the manager usually wins the award, will basically say it's the team. It's not obviously an individual award. It's for the team, for the coaching staff. And yeah, I think that'll be uh, pretty much the case if, you know, he does end up winning this because it's three wins from four. Obviously, that defeat was a really, really bad one. Uh, Leicester four one, but it has been a good month for Tottenham and a very good month for Christian Stellini, who's you know really, really done well when he's uh, had to take the reins with Conte recovering from that gallbladder surgery. Yeah, I mean, we've said it before that if they won the two derbies with Conte not in the country, it was going to be a little bit <laughs> awkward, and it kind of is. Um, look, I know there's a lot of people that are like, oh, Stellini in, Conte out, and all this sort of stuff. Um, but we've got to be completely honest. He's been so heavily involved, Conte. He really has been the manager in all but presence. He has. He's been just constant line of communication to the bench from his Turin home. We I saw loads of times on Sunday, either Ryan Mason or, um, oh, what's his name? Bruno, uh, is it Savaroni? The um, I forgot his name now. The fitness coach, um, but he was kind of both of them were heading up towards um, Stellini constantly, giving him kind of little words that or, or advice and things that have clearly come from uh, from Conte. And um, yeah, they deserve a lot of credit. Sorry, Stefano Bruno. That was it. You could hear me kind of padding there as I was desperately looking for the uh, the name. Stefano Bruno. I think Marco Savaroni is a goalkeeping coach. Um, yeah, he's been heavily involved. He's been picking a team, watching um, videos of every single training session, looking to see how players are at, what they're doing, um, analysing the opposition for what, how he wants the team to play. Even if they're making a sub, they have to check with him that it's okay to do so. And often he'll be the one suggesting the sub anyway. Um, so yes, I guess technically manager of the month award, it should be all of them. I always remember Nuno got his manager of the month award and they had to take a photo of almost everyone in the club. It was like one of the biggest group shots I've ever seen because he wanted to make it clear it was not his award. It was everyone's. Um, but yeah, you know, Cellini was quite funny. Ahead of the game, he was quite honest and he actually admitted, yeah, of course, it, it's a dream to be a manager. That, that's what I wanted to do. Um, and, you know, he's done it a couple of times before at a youth level and also um, at senior level in Italy. Um, but after the game, it was very much, I'm going to shut down all this talk. No, 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 no. This was all Antonio. This is all of him. Uh, and to be fair, the players have been saying similar. Uh, Richarlison, I've seen Richarlison did an interview afterwards, although he did joke a little bit about the pressure being on Conte now. He did also admit that, you know, essentially it's still him telling Stellini what to do. Um, and Pat Matesar also did a, an interview with Sky where he was saying it's just everything we were doing under Antonio. It's exactly the same thing, but just he isn't here to personally oversee it. And also we should st stress that. It is Pap Matasar. That's come from the player himself. Despite the fact that Antonio Conte constantly calls him Pape Sar, his name is Pap Mata. That's his first kind of two names. And then his surname is Sar. So um, that's going to take a bit of adjustment for me, uh, definitely, to stop saying Pape, but it's Pap. Um, and yeah, so uh, yeah, could be an awkward moment if he gets nominated, but I'm sure... 
I don't probably think they'll win. I'd, I'd imagine maybe Ten Hag or something like that is going to win it. But um, it's it's a nice kind of pat on the back for everything that's been done by the staff and for Conte and having to try and do it from afar as well. Yeah, very much. Just nice to be acknowledged for Tottenham's uh, good run of form. Don't right, we've only got the month anyway, do you? To be honest, let's, bit, it's, it's, it's always a curse anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right, we've got couple of minutes before you've got to head off to Hotspur away for Christian Stellini's pre-match press conference ahead of yes. the FA Cup fifth round tie at Sheffield United. Really tricky game, this one uh, for Tottenham. Uh, Wednesday will mark 12 months to the day since lost 1-0 at Middlesbrough in the FA oh. Cup, so hopefully they will be so avoiding bad. what was a nightmare evening on T side. It's going to be extremely hard. Sheffield United absolutely yeah. flying in the championship at the moment. Uh, second in the table. I think they've got seven-point gap over Middlesbrough in third. Yeah. Had a bit of a tough run, but got back to winning ways at the weekend with a 1-0 win over Watford. Uh, we did an article this morning on London trying to predict our teams. I think you went for the seven changes. I went for six. Do you want to just yeah. quickly explain your thinking? Yeah, it's it's the old cliche that of you've got to balance up giving players minutes that really need it because you are going to probably need a lot of them during the run-in. So you've got to give them minutes, as we were saying before. It's so important. But then also you've got to balance that up with the fact that, well, like you say, what happened a year ago? If you underestimate a championship team, especially one that is flying high at the, near the top of the table, um, it would be the daftest thing to do. So... Yeah, I think you've got to, if you're going to change it, I do think you have to because obviously the games come so thick and fast. You've, you're, you know, you've got Wednesday night and then straight away, Saturday, three o'clock kickoff, you're away at Wolves in a game where you're going to use up a lot of energy because of the possession that Wolves will have. So I think he has to change things up. Um, I personally, I think you probably let, you give Pat Matasar a start. I think you bring in the fresh legs. Then you've got to decide whether it's for Skippy or Hoybier. Um, I would probably say in this instance, Hoybier did get the rest against Milan because he was suspended. So he's not going to be in such a, a knackered shape as he might normally be. And Skippy's come back from not playing regularly to suddenly having three games in 12 days. So I'd imagine maybe you split the minutes between maybe an hour for Hoybier, 30 for Skip, perhaps. Uh, I think you change both wing backs. I think we see Porro come back in um, and obviously a tough game for him. It will be as well. Uh, Perisic come in. I would personally, I'd give Harry Kane some a rest on the bench, especially as they're managing his game time at the moment, which is a little bit worrying, that one. They're saying it's because of the illness he had. It was He had a fever against Fulham, didn't he? That was like almost a month ago. About so the fact yeah, that four or five weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. So if there's any lingering after effects on that, that's... I mean, maybe, maybe there's something else has happened in the meantime. Maybe there's been another kind of spot of, of illness. I don't know. Maybe the fact that he played through it maybe just did him no favours whatsoever. But maybe take this opportunity to play Richardson through the middle. Um, maybe have to play Sonny on the right in that respect with Dan Juma on the left, perhaps. Um, but then all three of those players can pretty much play anywhere across the front three. So it's quite a fluid front three. I think Lucas probably fitness-wise maybe isn't in a position to start, but you could obviously bring him off the bench if uh, later in the game. Um, and then defence is a difficult one. That, for me, was the one I struggled with the most because obviously you've got to play Forster, but 
you know, you'd think he will try to give minutes to Sanchez and Tanganga. Um, but then obviously you are in a position where, you know, does that make a slightly kind of weakened, well, it does make, a, it's definitely a weaker back three. You probably have to have the balance of having long lay in there. I'd say Davies probably the running he did at the weekend. Maybe it won't be him. Um, yeah, but it's a big ask for Sanchez and Tanganga to suddenly come into a game like that in front of a, a big crowd um, and probably going to be a fair few set pieces chucked in there as well to deal with. It's Yeah, that's where I am denied over whether he keeps either Dyer or Romero in there. Um, but yeah, what did you go for? What was your difference to my team then? Uh, very similar. I think I went with one defensive change. Obviously, Christian Romero had a bit of a rest at Leicester through suspension. So I thought, give Eric Dyer the rest, bring Dabington Sanchez in in the middle of the defence. He's, mm. he's not played for a while because Tanganga got another Leicester. I changed yeah. the wing-backs, Porro and Perisic. Uh, kept Hoiberg in there as he had a rest against AC Milan through suspension. To be honest, I would have started him anyway. Important cup game. Bring uh, Papi Metasar in, Richarlison and Sonstar. I was umming and ahhing over Dan Juma and I just went with Harry Kane in the end. I just think it's such an important game. I think the FA Cup's there for the taking uh, this year. So many Premier League teams have been knocked out. It's a really, really good opportunity to get to Wembley. Tottenham are crying out for silverware. Look what happened at Middlesbrough last year. Just go, go strong. Try get through. If you're in a good position with, you know, half an hour, 20 minutes to go, then bring off the likes of Kane and Hoiberg. Just get the job done, basically. That's yeah. my thinking. Absolutely, absolutely. So I've got a motor off to my uh, press conference. I'm, I'm going to, uh, might as well go in a, a go-kart if, if the latest <laughs> came out just before <laughs> we gave one about Spurs' new deal with um, Formula One. That's going to be interesting. That uh, I think it sounds like the car park. Presumably, they're going to use the big car park area underneath the south stand, but like a yeah. bigger area. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Fifteen-year agreement with Formula One, uh, electric go kart track. I think it is underneath <laughs> the south stand. There's uh, one so track. Have a media. Has to yeah, have a one, media day. We have track. to. Yeah. Yeah, one one track for adults, one for kids as well. I think they've seen they can potentially host championships on it. It's going to be that good. So, yeah, one to look forward to in autumn 2023. Anyway, as you need to get off to Hotspur Way, we'll leave it here for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Top Tottenham. We'll be back next week to reflect on the Sheffield United and Wolves games. So, as ever, just keep us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.